Psychic Waves. I'm your host, Christy Walsh. I'm excited to say hello to the globe. In this show, we hope to bring you new ideas to your spiritual path by letting you hear how other folks walk their path or how they awaken. The planet, the solar system, and every being in it is waking up in some way or ascending on their spiritual path. Things are changing from a third or fourth dimensional world to something different, and we're expanding our world from duality to a world where we are back to all one. And we're interested in new ways to create within ourselves, with others, and with our world. We've noticed we can connect with spirit faster, move energy around quicker and time is speeding up the way we use words is changing carrying new vibrations and the way we interpret events is expanding and we're letting go of old ways of thinking and beliefs that don't serve us anymore the way we define love is getting bigger and there's always bigger brighter ways to surf so grab your boards my special guest stars today i have two are shavasti and jane sibbett shavasti is a world-renowned intuitive gifted healer and author of six books his latest being embracing the power of truth tools for liberating your heart. He offers counseling and teachings from the Awakened Heart series and will be featured on streamingforthesoul.tv with Jane Sibbett in a series of conversations starting two days from now, June 10th, I think 6.30 p.m. So we'll get a little bit more details from my guests in a moment. So you can find out more at shavasti.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-V-A-S-T-I.com and streamingforthesoul.tv. So welcome Shavasti from Thailand and Jane from Los Angeles. Hi, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> and hello, Christy. Aloha to you, my friend. Thank you. Aloha. Thank you so much for having me back with another amazing, wonderful person like Shavasti. I'm so excited to introduce you to. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you, Shavasti. And I, I have a lot of questions, but I think I'd love for you to explain to, to folks on SoundCloud and iTunes about some of the work you do around family constellations and uh, you've worked with lots of individuals, thousands all over the world, sort of healing their family systems. And I'm sure you have other ways to express that and even integrating, you know, ancestral healing work, shamanism, uh, working with the subtle bodies, auric fields and chakras. And you have amazing videos up on your site that I thought were just fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about this sort of family constellation and how you heal that? Well, my own journey with family constellations started back in 1997. It could have been 1998. I can't, I'm a little bit sketchy on that. I think it was the back end of 1997. And uh, a friend of mine had under, undergone the training. She'd been busy with it for two years. And she begged and begged and begged me to come along to um, one of her workshops. And I was just not interested not in the least bit interested because <laughs> I'd already attended um, a psychodrama workshop which I had actually walked out of and I just it just everything she told me about it sounded like psychodrama and I thought <laughs> I don't want to be involved in that claptrap anymore because that was my response to it anyway eventually she begged me because she just qualified and she didn't have enough bodies on her workshop and so as a friend I said okay I'll come along I'll come along I'll be a, a body there I was gobsmacked. I was completely blown away. And so I attended her next workshop and her next workshop and her next workshop. And then before I, I knew it, I um, signed up for training and I just fell in love with it. It really grabbed me because it really engages directly with um, what Rupert Sheldrake would call the morphogenic field or the knowing field. 
Yeah. And inexplicable things happen. So what happens is is that we're able to tap into the feelings of the real people that are being represented. And it's very, very different to psychodrama. And we look at the underlying traumas, the underlying loyalties, the hidden loyalties, and the entanglements that have cascaded down through many, many generations. One of the things that I say to people is that we are born into a story or a narrative that is already being told. So it's not as if we arrive on this completely clean slate. We already have our mother's story and our father's story that we're born into. There's a new story, which is the story of the couple, so mum and dad, and if we're the first child, then that becomes the formation of the family. But we're born into a narrative that is already taking place. And so that story can be, we come from this background, therefore we are like this. We're, we are Catholics and therefore this. We're Protestants, therefore that. We're Democrats, therefore this. We're Republicans, therefore that. We are African-American, therefore this is our story. We're Irish-American, therefore this is our story. And so we have these stories that we're born into, and quite often, or most often than not, there's a part of that story that is a burden, and there's also a part of that story that's simply not true. And we can live out those stories as if they are our own without even questioning them. Without even questioning them. And so one of the things that is very visible is that it takes a very courageous child, a very courageous child, to allow themselves to be happier than their mother or their father. I love you saying this. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, I'm a firstborn. Right. As you probably guessed. <laughs> I think Jade already knows, figured that out. But but I, I think just amazing that this conversation is getting louder and louder on the planet. Because one of the questions I also wanted to ask was, so then how big is our family? And if some of us are connected to, yeah, to other beings and uh, ancestors and, you know, my grandmother comes to me all the time and, you know, Jane, you have a whole lot over there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're managing a lot of energy, whether we call ourselves psychic or whatever, intuitive or whatever, we're still managing a lot of energy and history. And I love what you were saying. Um, some of the videos on your site talked about that your ancestors actually do want you to be happy and to, to, to grow. To thrive, yeah. to thrive and to prosper. But many of us are extremely loyal to the suffering of the previous generations. And so I often say to people, how would it be for you to be able to say the words, beloved mother, please smile upon me kindly if I have the courage to be happier than you. Yeah. It's so profound. It really is. When, when he said that, yeah, when he said that to me the other night, I just started to weep again. Because, yeah. because it's because you see your parents in a certain level and you suddenly like, oh, my goodness, I really have stepped into that for a while. There, there was that prosperity. And then there's suddenly like, oh, that would be that would be um, disrespectful to take on too much, you know, or to to shame them by being too much. But that isn't what they want. It's true. 
<laughs> I know. And and I I know this happens. It's happened in my own life mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people so, get yeah. confused when I first start bringing this topic to them because they stand back and they say, well, you know, both of my parents, they grew up in poverty and um, they're still not particularly wealthy people. And look at me now. I've got five companies. I'm a multimillionaire. I've got a private jet, etc. I've had people say things like that me therefore I don't have this loyalty to their poverty and I say to them well how much love is there in your life yeah. and that's when they go quiet and then all the energy gets sucked out of the room <laughs> and they're like oh god well and then so, the, he- the healing begins there you know that's so, just yeah. a recognition so when was the last time you allowed yourself not to fall in love but to fall into love and to be satisfied on every level. Many people have the, the appearance of great success, and this is not to turn down anyone's success in, in, in business or, or, or the particular career that they have or the art that they have. It's, so I'm not speaking against any of that. But this is really about allowing ourselves to have it all, to have yeah. the good health, to have the loving, supportive relationships, to have self-care, to have meaningful friendships and relationships, and also an experience of abundance. And I say an experience of abundance because that means different things to different people. As I shared with Jane the other day, and I said to her, for some people, um, the dream is to have a log cabin on the side of a mountain somewhere. For me, that's not a dream. That's a bit of a nightmare. (laughs) For other people... That's nice for a weekend, but to actually live up there full-time, no. For some people, it's having a loft apartment in Manhattan. For other people, it's a beach house. So we don't all want the same thing. So an experience of abundance is really about feeling that you have enough and that you're satisfied with what you have. And so a dollar amount can't be put on that. And for some people, um, that, that involves lots of dollars. And for other people... It's having this little house in the countryside that feels comfortable and homely and where they feel loved by the people around them and they love those who are around them. So there are different experiences of abundance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that can be ease. That can be just different different sort of combinations of energy. And, and then we change our mind all the time. So, Absolutely. But, yeah. And and so it kind of it's interesting because I wasn't thinking about the creativity part of it, but if if I just take my example of things that have happened in my family and what I know about the histories and kind of that, I've gotten as far as saying hello to it, <laughs> which you know I'll laugh about that later because <laughs> it's like I wanted to go so much farther, but like I didn't really have anyone to talk to till this interview actually so this is awesome but thank you but I do have and I'm sure lots of folks have this on creating music and you know different productions on SoundCloud and iTunes that they get this creativity going and then they stop and it's because they don't want to go beyond that honoring or what they think is honoring of the family and it's like we confuse honoring and thriving and creative stuff like different things are 
these potholes of energy that we can't climb out of. And then, and then someone like me just is like, oh, that's it. I think my family's just cursed. You know, I just going to have to live with it so that we live with it. <laughs> well, very often the people who sabotage us the most are members of our own family. There's also, yeah. did you use the expression in the United States, tall poppy syndrome? No. I've heard of it. I've not. Okay. Oh, please tell well, us about it. <laughs> the, the tall poppy syndrome is something that's used in uh, both Australia and the United Kingdom. It's really how we have this contradictory nature. On the one hand, we're told we must do well, we must do well at school, we must succeed. But woe betide you if you do too well. And then people start saying, and how many very successful people who have succeeded in the arts, for example, or succeeded in business, have been told, oh, well, you've forgotten your roots. You've forgotten who you are. Oh, you think you're better than us now. So that happens a lot. And that place of that criticism, that um, negative feedback, for the ones who are offering it, it comes from their own lack of courage and lack of ability to be true to their own dreams. And so it becomes intolerable for them when others are standing in their light and standing in their magnificence. And so one of the things that, that loyalties do, hidden loyalties do, is that when we see somebody suffering, let's say we have a, a mother who's deeply disappointed in her marriage, or a father who's an alcoholic, or a sister who has anorexia nervosa, or something like that. What we tend to do, we go and stand in the darkness with them, in the hope that we can coax them out and pull them out. But what happens is we get stuck in there. We get yeah. stuck in there. And so yeah. what we need to do is from a very deep place of respect, and as difficult as it is, is bow with respect to the fate of the other and to the choices of the other, not in a rejecting way, but in a way that embraces and, and says, I leave you with your sadness. I leave you with your life of disappointment. I leave you with the alcohol. I leave you with the anorexia. I leave you with the drugs. I leave you with your anger. And I go my way. And then you go and stand in your magnificence. Stand in your own light. And then there is a possibility that they might follow us and step out of the darkness. But what most of us do 99 out of 100 people, we go and stand in the darkness and we're trying to rescue them. But we get stuck in the mud ourselves. And so these bonds of loyalty are not just to the people that we consciously know. It can stretch through generations. Let's say, as is true for many Americans, let's say your grandmother or your great-grandmother is Native American. That's true for many Americans, isn't it? Yeah. that they have grandmothers or great-grandmothers who are Native American. Well, look at the history. Look at what they lost. So could you say that to your grandmother's was Cherokee and found herself on the Trail of Tears? Um, at least I think it was yeah. Cherokee on the Trail of Tears. Um, but let's say your grandmother is a Native American. How could you say to her, beloved grandmother, even though you lost everything, 
please bless me if I have something. Yeah, it seems, just looking at sort of it on a material plane, it's like uh, their connection with the earth is so beautiful and just speaking of Native Americans is so magnificent and everybody would love to be in that energy and yet if I'm creating my life in 2015 and I see a bright shiny jet and I'm like oh I want that it's like there's no place to put that magnificence of technology for you know lack of a better term and what humans can create in that sort of framework of this Native American experience it's like how 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 is that going to work in my makeup then? Like um, I'm going to pick the earth before I pick the jet, for example. Well, I think there are two ways to look at technology. Um, technology can be used for the greater good. Yeah. Or it can be used as trinkets and toys, or it can yeah. be used to create more damage. For yeah. example, one of the great contradictions that we have in our culture is that we have all of the technology available to us in order to have a pollution-free world. So, for example, um, it is perfectly ridiculous to me that states such as Arizona, Texas, California, countries like Spain, Portugal, Italy, countries like South Africa, Australia, for example, countries that have... um, huge amounts of sunlight don't have solar panels all over the place and that is about lack of political will it's about lack of political will and therefore we've got to follow the money with that and so that leads to a much much deeper issue a much much deeper issue and that is when we are still using the physical to fill the space of emptiness that is within us exactly yeah yeah So when that space of emptiness is filled from within by us and also through healing our relationships to our ancestral story, to our ancestral path, because there's a lot of trauma that's being passed down, the United States is a country that has been built upon trauma, built upon trauma. So the people who who emigrated to the United States, those who who emigrated voluntarily, meaning unlike the African-Americans who were brought, forced as slaves to the country, but those yeah. who, who emigrated voluntarily did so mostly from escaping war, famine, persecution, um, political situations, etc. So they were running away from something, although most people would say they were looking for a better life. But what's, what was it and who was it that they left behind? Then on top of that, in order to accommodate all those new people, the original peoples were displaced and genocide took place and then the slaves were brought in. So if we look at the load, the karmic load of that, that is a palpable energy that exists within the U.S. and and it needs to be addressed. But addressing it politically is not really what I'm talking about because I don't like to get involved in politics. But addressing it on an individual level where... Each story is given equal importance. There's not one group, in my view, that is more important than another. Each of the stories is important. And so it's about gathering around the fireplace, both the victims and the perpetrators, and all of the different stories, and seeing them for what they are, and seeing it as a human story, 
and that requires for us to to look through the eyes of the heart and see exactly what is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just such a sort of beautiful unfolding here where you're looking at what we thought separation was or what we thought love is or how that worked out in our world. And then you actually look at the energy of the heart and all this other stuff happens and you can actually really change things within yourself. And Jane, I think you got to talk to Shavasti and tell us about your experience. Well, we had our, our conversations and that we're, we'll start having uh, on streaming for the TV starting Wednesday. And, yeah. and in these conversations, each time that he would begin giving some of his examples of how this might look, it might look like this. I suddenly realized that these were all applicable to my own personal experience. So as he's working with everybody, he's really, he was definitely tuning into what was going on for me. And each little layer come unfolding. Like, for instance, when he's just speaking about uh, the stories of the mothers, you know, perhaps your mother had this, perhaps she had a disappointed yeah. marriage. And, and I suddenly, as he was talking, I, what my, my whole being was filled with the way that that has gone through the, the women in my family. Yeah, and mine too. Yeah, my sister, my mother, my grandmother. And, you know, you know all of these women have had, it, had these challenging relationships. And who am I to have one that was better? Who am I? You know, it's that kind of thing. And you, and you feel like oh, suddenly, you, yes, I see where I subjugated my ability to prosper in my relationship. I see how I, you know, my responsibility in that. And to get to that point where you can look at your, because, because my mother was always in celebration of all of my success, including, you know, the happiest of, of marriage and love. But there's still that underlying gnawing ache that you feel like, I'm so sorry that you didn't have it. But now he gives us with these tools that he's sharing of these ways to bless and, and it's, it's forgiving the whole, it feels like it, it feels like it's forgiving the whole lineage that I'm sorry that you didn't have that experience. And I choose to break this pattern. Now I choose to go forward with clear conscience and for the good of all of us to step into something yeah. lighter and more radiant and better for everybody. <laughs> so, what is you know. really What's really important to say here that there's a lot more to this than just making the mental decision. It is something that really does need to be met fully in the truth of all of that in terms yeah. Yeah. of how does it sit in your heart to yeah. walk away from your mother's sadness and to leave her with it, to leave her with her disappointment. It's like, I can't do it right now. I can't do it. She needs exactly. me. Yeah, cool. she needs me to hold her hand. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but you do work with that, and you will in these conversations. Absolutely, can, and, and, yeah. in the, and in the workshops. And I also work one-on-one with people on, on Skype. I do that uh, almost daily, or just about daily through the week. And so it's a process of tapping in to the part of us that perhaps feels that we didn't get enough. 
And so we part of the loyalty is that if we can be loyal to mother's disappointment, let's say, and we can stay there in her disappointment and be disappointed ourselves, then maybe, maybe if I carry some of her disappointment, there'll be enough of her to see who I am, really. Then I'll get the acknowledgement. Then I'll get the true love and the true embracing and the true merging with my mother that I've always craved. And so it's part of a strategy as well. And that's the other part of the loyalty. It's part of a strategy. If I take this on, then maybe I will get finally what I need from her or from him or from the husband or the wife or the father or the mother. And so part of this deep movement, again, it's through the heart and not through the mind, is to be able to say, Dear Father, I give up. I give up. And that really means... I give up trying to get something that's not there. And so it's respecting that there is a limitation. So to be able to say to somebody or to a parent or to a grandparent, thank you for what you could do for me. So acknowledging that something was given, but there's something that wasn't given. And we're no longer going to wait for that. This is not about cutting ties. This is not about never seeing the person ever again. Right. This is about the attachment to getting something that's not actually there and finding it within ourselves. It's the ultimate freedom. Yeah, I, which is like my total thing. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> there was one thing that you did talk about, and that was, and I'm sure you'll talk about it in the conversations, is that we lock our own life force away as part of this whole dealing with not getting what we sort of want out of the parent or family system. And uh, it just made so much sense to me that we, sort of put our own life force on hold. We kind of gather them up on our arms and hope their journey is going to be better because we're there holding their hand. And it just, like you say, it just turns into this, I don't even know what to call it, just this amoeba of like climbing all over this energy and, and not, not, not thriving, not experiencing communion with many, many other energies we have on this planet to hang out with. The, the bottom line is we invest a lot of our life force energy in keeping in place that which we don't want to know and that which we don't want to feel. Yeah. We use a lot of life force energy keeping in place that which we don't want to know and that which we don't want to feel. And so the question is here, <laughs> like my brain is exploding over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for those imagine. of you listening, yeah, when, for those of you listening, it's not just words that are being said to me. Like stuff is happening. <laughs> yeah, no, they, you can imagine what conversations with Shavasti are like. They are. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. So that's a very important statement, and it's a profound statement to understand. We invest a lot of our life force energy in keeping at bay, in keeping locked away that which we don't want to know and that which we don't want to feel. 
or that which we don't want to see. You see, many people are chasing some kind of spiritual awakening, spiritual development, maybe even enlightenment or, or self-realization, and I don't claim to be either of those. I'm on the path just like everybody else. But a requirement of any healing is to know the truth. To know the truth of who we are. But much of what I hear out there about the truth of who we are it has become yet another image for the ego to grab hold of. And so to, be, to become spiritually enlightened has become some kind of image that... Um, that is translated in some way, we're supposed to behave in a certain way, we're supposed to think in a certain way, and then there are all these teachings, which are wonderful teachings. I'm talking about the distortions around things like oneness and non-duality and love, and um, etc. And so they've become yet another image where we begin to chase the light rather than facing what is. For many people on the spiritual path, the mere mention of family is like, you know, the cat amongst the pigeons. The proverbial cat amongst <laughs> the pigeons. I think Ram Das, I think it was the very beautiful Ram Das, and my apologies to, um, to Mr. Das if I'm misquoting him here. Um, but I believe uh, it was he who said to a student who once asked him, how can we tell how enlightened we are? And he said, go home and spend a week with your family. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, and and if it wasn't Ram Dass, I'm, I'm very happy to attribute it to him because it's, it's it's very very good. Um, so um, if the real person who said that listens to this, then please contact me and correct me by all means. <laughs> um, and so it's about truth. And so the question is here. To what are you dedicated? To what are you dedicated? Is it to your your guru? Is it to your particular yogic path? Is it to some other spiritual prescription or your religion? And I've felt for a long time that if we must choose a religion, let it be devotion to the heart. And as we start looking through the eyes of the heart, then there is an invitation there to step into the absolute truth, to look at what is at all moments. And most of us do not want to know the truth, because that's what we've been taught. We were taught when we were very young, thou shalt not lie, and yet we grew up in this world listening and seeing all of the adults around us either telling lies or living lies. And so we grew up with this great big contradiction. And the truth of who we were as children was not welcome. Our exuberance, our magnificence was not welcome. And so we learned how to lie. And we learned that living in truth really brought a great big risk that we would be shamed and humiliated all over again. And so it's not a very valuable commodity. However... It is the only thing that takes us towards liberation. Was it not Jesus who said, then the truth shall set you free? Mm -hmm. And it does. And so when we're willing to look at what is, not tell the story about what is, not live in the drama of what is, not regurgitate what is, but just simply to look at what is, 
and what is can be despite the fact that this person hurt me greatly I did love them I love them that doesn't mean that you have to be friends with them again but it is acknowledging the truth of what is actually there and another truth can be I do not yet have the courage to move beyond the disappointing life that my mother is currently leaving living it would feel disloyal to me so looking at what is and and once we're willing to do that that's our starting point that is our starting point to want to know the truth yeah that is just amazing it's just amazing so this is great so two days from now days from now or that yes we should just go ahead and say in the in the UK it's on the the 11th on Mercury goes direct and here we're on the edge on June 10th perfect but we will have these on the streaming for the soul so we have a pretty intense schedule I don't know if you've seen it but we're going to go every single day for five for five days so that you can really you know dive right into these conversations and then you can go back and listen to them as you wish and we might even make more huh Jane yeah, I think we might. We might have to. Stop. And, you know, we're hoping, too, because I don't know if you heard that part, but we would really love to have workshops to come all the way out from Bangkok. We really want to make sure that we know that there are people that would like to come to these workshops. So if somebody wants to come and have conversations with Shabasti, maybe I'll be on the edge and welcome them, say hello, and then let him do his thing. Um, we would like to know so that we can have him come, you know, fly over. People are interested in working with him in the room. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah. The space is amazing, and it's very intimate, and yet it's a broadcast, too, so you get the feeling of everyone watching all over the world. It's it's great. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to say about the workshops, um, it's not just me sitting in a chair and, and talking for two days. Um, it is an invitation, and so um, I can walk around the room whilst I talk, and I will engage in individuals. And um, I love to have at the front of the room either either a, um, a couch or a sofa or, or two big comfortable chairs. And as the weekend goes, I invite people to come up and sit in the chair next to me. And we have a conversation, and that conversation can either be a deep conversation, and then I invite the audience to come with us on the journey, not to just be peering, wondering what's going on there, but as I'm talking to that person about their mother or their grandfather um, or their father or their brother or their ex-husband or ex-wife, etc., to go to that place within themselves where they find and experience the commonality in the topic that's that's being worked with. So not to have observers, but those who join in the journey with us. And so that can either be a conversation, I can do some energy work, because these um, loyalties are, can be seen as knots in the energy field, either in the Shushumna, which runs up the center of the body, or directly in the chakras or in a chakra court. Or I can do a movement with them, um, that is more family constellation orientated, that kind of movement. So my work now is inclusive of family constellations, but not exclusive to. So there's a mixture, and there's fun too. I like to laugh and um, I like to play a bit as well. There's a time for everything. There's a time for play. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for epiphanies. 
there's a time for sadness, and there's a time for frivolity as well. For it all, it's all welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, June 10th starts 6.30 p.m. at streamingforthesoul.tv. You guys go from June 10th to the 14th, and the 13th and 14th you guys have conversations a couple times a day, which I think is awesome. And I love that folks can get it you know, day after day. I think that's really great scheduling there. Well, we wanted to make make it so that people around the world could listen to it in the different time zones that they were at. You know, sometimes people are, are good at five, sometimes they're not. So I thought that might be an easier way for people to access it. And then they can go back and listen to the conversations. They're not, they are not A, B, C, D, but, but they can be skipped around and enjoyed. But if you want to go in for the ride, it's a pretty cool way to do it. And Christy, I just want to say that uh, we're not limited to just coming to Los Angeles. Shavasti is thinking about going to many places, at least along the West Coast. I know there's invitations for him to go back east as well, but we really oh, need to know. Really? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And well, thank you. Christina. And thank you, Jane. I'm so indebted to you, Jane. I, I haven't known Jane for long, and a complete stranger introduced us in a very magical way. And I'm very appreciative of how Jane has simply embraced me in my work, and how you've now also embraced me in my work too, Christina. I'm very grateful to each person that supports me along the way. So I, I thank you both for this support and for introducing me to the people that you know, love, and like, and those who follow you in, in their own way as well. So thank you very much indeed. Ah, oh, thank you. Thanks so much. It is such a pleasure. Such a pleasure to work with your wisdom and your graciousness. It's really an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christy.